You are listening to the Weird Learning Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Alex Patel and Dr. Tracy Dix. Today's episode is all about preparing for A-Level Results Day. Production team, Patricia Marie Solis and Kia Morant. Hello and welcome back everyone to the Weird Learning Podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since our last release and we're very excited to bring to you an episode all about everything you'll need to know to prepare for results day if you've taken your A-levels this year. So Alex, what have we got planned for our listeners? Right, so I'm very excited. I've recently been doing a bit of work developing a ready for results day workbook. And to many people, workbooks are not a very exciting thing, but to me, it's a a wonderful learning opportunity. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as we're going through this episode. So at the moment, we're very much aware that um, Thursday, the 17th of August, is A-Level Results Day. And people are going to be going into it with a lot of mixed emotions. Um, Some people perhaps very confident, very excited at moving on to the next stage in their lives. Other people a bit cautious about course choices and, you know, do they really want to go and study that at university? Maybe having second thoughts. Others kind of thinking, you know, oh, I really don't know what I'm going to get for my marks, um, what my results are going to be. What am I going to do? Am I going to have to deal with this thing called clearing? And so I think that's what we kind of want to talk about today, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I think the main purpose of this episode is to... Um, put people's minds at ease, whether you're a student or a parent or someone supporting a student who's just taken their A-levels and is waiting for their results, because it can be a nerve-wracking time, full of decisions to be made and quite a bit of uncertainty as well. Even if you have a firm offer from a university already, you know, there's still, the decisions are still kind of wide open, aren't they, Alex, in the sense that how do you know that just because the university has accepted you, that you're going to be happy there for the next three years and be able to fulfill your potential. Yes. So if you're having second thoughts about your course, that is absolutely fine. Um, now is a time for you before results day to um, start looking into other options. And it might be that after um, that after a period of self-reflection and thinking about what you really want to be doing in life um, and whether this course that you currently have an offer for is the one for you, that you decide actually it isn't. Um, and it might surprise you to know that you can go into clearing, reject that offer and go into clearing and look for something else. So I believe among students, there can be a misconception that clearing is for students who perhaps haven't made the grade that they wanted to get their first choice university. But actually, it's a really good opportunity to reassess your options. And, you know, perhaps it could be that you visited a number of universities, but then visited another university after filling out your application and you're now having second thoughts. So it's a good opportunity to really think about what exactly you want from a course and a university and how it's going to help you achieve your long-term goals. Definitely. Um, And if you think about how much you're investing in your future, you know, we're talking £9,000 a year tuition fees, um, and then you've got the accommodation living costs. Um, So just to say, you know, if even if you end up on a course you don't like, um, there are still so many options out there and it's still an incredible uh, learning opportunity. 
but you are now in a position where you can take control and decide which course, which institution, which university is the one that you think you're going to flourish at. So take the driving seat at this point. Um, and this workbook that I'm very proud of does cover some of that. Um, would you like me to show you this, Tracy? Yes, please. <laughs> right. So introducing the Ready for Results Day workbook with a lovely picture of Tracy and I um, embodying the playful, experiential type of learning that we really believe in. So the first thing we've got here is not just a bit of text. You can actually ignore that and dive straight in. And it's um, a bit of a meditation, a visualization drawing on um, the approach of neuro-linguistic uh, programming. And we don't need to worry about the big names. It's basically um, a guided meditation or visualization where you think about uh, what your motivations, your passions are, where you see yourself in the future. So this is a good way to kind of get started and set the scene. Um, and next we have a more focused activity where we would ask you to, um, around this circle that you can see here, put down things that interest you, that excite you, that inspire you. Um, and then the idea is that once you've got these 15 things written down, you draw links between them. You try and find ones that uh, match up, that link together, that have a certain theme. And you can identify the three that are, you're most interested in, you're most passionate about. And then think about, you'll see we've got these nice little spots here to fill them in. You can then think about, well, does the course that you've applied for um, help you to achieve these things? You know, can we think of some examples of what a person might be passionate about? Helping others. They could be passionate in a particular subject, like oh, an area of history. Yes, helping others in history. Um, they could be interested in food, like I was. Ah, I still am. Okay, okay, there we go. So kind of working with others, helping others, bit of history, um, bit of food. And so that's a very interesting combination. So that person could then look at um, the, the course that they've currently chosen and think, well, does this course help me achieve or like work within these areas? And if it does, great. If it doesn't, maybe it is a means to work in those areas. So maybe the course itself will lead to um, a career which does these things, you know, simply by being a, um, a graduate course and having graduate skills. Or it might be that this course will make you a whole lot of money and give you so much power that actually, you know, you'll have your day job, but you can pursue your interests and your passions outside of that. Because maybe you only have to work one day a week in your high powered, high paid job. And the rest of the time you can spend helping people understand history and food. So that was my sister's thinking when it came to choosing a degree. So this is a long time ago now, but she studied for an accountancy degree way back. And she's also a very enthusiastic aerialist, kind of similar to me, but she's a lot better because she's got a lot more time to devote to it. And she's also really passionate about books. She loves reading and she's got very diverse interests. And I did once ask her, so how come you didn't consider like an arts degree or something like that? And her answer to me was, well, 
I think having to study and prepare assessments on it would kill the fun for me in literature. And that's why she didn't choose it. For her, it was her way to unwind. But regarding the Ariel, you know, she was quite happy to have a day job that she's moderately interested in, but then have the money. And, you know, she's doing pretty well. She works for PricewaterhouseCoopers in Singapore. And um, and so she's got the resource to go for lots of aerial classes, which in Singapore is considered a bit of a luxury because, you know, it's a very space-scarce country. So that could be the kind of decision that you make, depending on your personality. I just want to add one thing to what Alex was saying, that in the kind of 15 things that you're passionate about, it's really, it's a good idea to, when you kind of slim it down to the three main things, to think about your values and how mm. those align with your values. Because there are lots of organizational specialists who said that, you know, teams work a lot better when um, individuals' values are very clear. And you're probably going to find that's the case at university as well. So not just like teams when it comes to working, but the people that you meet and the people that you actually want to spend time with. So whether it's on your course or through your hobbies, but also at university, you'll be asked to do some kind of teamwork um, assessment at some point. And so knowing your own values and encouraging other people to have a very clear vision of what that is would help you to achieve your goals. So Alex's exercise on knowing your passions and what I've just said about thinking about your values is going to help you understand and gain more clarity on your long-term goals. However, let's get back to results day. So what can students expect to happen on results day, Alex? Right. So my understanding, and I'm, I have to be honest, it's been a few years since I went to an A-level results day. Um, but usually the first thing you have to realise is that the universities will have your grades before you get them. So we'll talk a bit more about this later. But, you know, if we're thinking chronologically, what happens with these grades? That's the first bit. Universities have them. Then I think around 8 a.m. or is it 9 a.m. on Thursday the 17th, you can go and collect your results. Some people may have opted to have them sent by email or to go to the um, their sixth form college to accept them there. Then, of course, you have the, the excitement, the fear, the tension of opening that email or that envelope and having a statement of results. Mm, and dun, looking dun, at what dun. that means. Yes, yes. One very simple email, one very simple piece of paper. So then you know what your results are. You know whether uh, it has met any conditions on the offer that you've got, your firm offer or your backup offer. Um, so you will know whether you've been instantly accepted or not. There, perhaps there's no rush to quickly accept an offer, is there? How many days do students have to decide which university they want to attend? That's an interesting question. Um, now, I don't know 100%. So what I'm going to do is direct you to your UCAS pages and um, any offers that you've been made. It should tell you within uh, the offer that you've accepted as your firm choice what those deadlines may or may not be. And if not, have a look at the UCAS website. So you're asking in terms of the process. So you've got your results. You know whether you've been accepted or not. Um, 
you can choose at this point to decline anything that you've already been accepted onto if you decide you want to go into clearing for some of the reasons we've mentioned earlier. And we happen to have an excellent podcast episode that's all about clearing, don't we, Alex? Ah, we do, yes. Well, we invited Dr. Catherine Armstrong, who has been involved in admissions and clearing process at Loughborough University in the history department. Yes, I highly recommend that if you're reassessing your options, that's a really good episode to get into. Um, And I should also add that um, the workbook does tell you a bit more detail about the actual process and how you accept a course um, or decline, and then how you would look for other courses. There's a, a a really important course search function, which I'm sure you've come across already on the UCAS pages. And it's the UCAS page that you have to be on because those have the most up-to-date information about what courses are actually available. So so Alex kind of started this episode with a bit of a visualization by talking about visualization. And the thing I want to emphasize is that, you know, if your results come as a bit of a surprise to you and perhaps you're a little bit underprepared for you know, what you kind of see on the sheet of paper or I don't know how, how do students see their results these days? I had a sheet of paper. Sheet of paper or email, I'm led to believe. Or email. Then it's really important to like kind of take a breath and, you know, maybe find a space to sit down and kind of be in tune with your own intuition, I think, on what to do next. It's not, I mean, this is not something you have to do straight away. And you might want to have some moral support with your friends and maybe vent a little bit before that. And that's perfectly fine as well. So I think whatever mechanism helps you to kind of cope with it, because your friends and your family can really help to give you a sense of perspective on what's just happened. And, you know, although it might seem like a huge decision, It's simply a time to just kind of regroup your thoughts and consider what your options are. And there will be many options. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense to kind of process whatever emotions you're feeling because it it is a really big day um, and it's a really big surprise that suddenly, you know, explodes in front of you. Um, I remember the last time I was in this kind of situation, it would have been when I had... uh, submitted my PhD and gone for a viva. So, you know, a big wad of text about locusts and how they scratch themselves was what my PhD was about. (laughs) Um, And my viva was about maybe two hours long. And it was um, an examiner from a different university who was a specialist in that area came in and challenged me about all these things I was claiming in my uh, thesis. Um, And then at the end of it, I was simply told, yes, you have passed with minor corrections. Woohoo! And it's like, wow, oh, I'm a doctor now. That's I'm going to go and get a T-shirt with that printed on. But I didn't know what to do. I just kind of paused and, you know, I just came out of that meeting and there wasn't anybody around. The corridors were all deserted. Um, I just thought, oh, I need to speak to somebody. So I think I ended up ringing my mum or somebody to just, you know, kind of talk and process the enormity of what just happened. Well, make sure you have a support network around you on results day and think about who you want to call to share the news. If, you know, your peers aren't immediately around you, who would you want to share the news with? And then after that, plan some processing time have a nice cup of tea that always helps <laughs> or a hot chocolate if that's what you prefer so actually um i'd like to backpedal a bit and um make the argument for 
um, why it's so important to have done some preparation before results day. So you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so it's good to have some kind of like prep, some kind of plan in place. So it's not complete panic at this point and thinking, oh, I don't know what courses I'm going to. I didn't get the one I wanted. I need to go into clearing. But what do I do? I, I've not really looked into the different options or I've just, you know, picked some kind of randomly. Mm. So what we're arguing for is a bit of prep. Um thinking about other options you know uh, maybe even different courses if you've got questions about the one you initially picked but certainly different institutions mm. um, you can look at those on UCAS and get an idea of what types of course are currently available in clearing but you can also um, access a lot of other information and guess what it's all in the workbook hooray hooray <laughs> <laughs> so um i think i've highlighted three different sources of information so we've said about the courses uh the course and course outlines that are available and that's through the ucas subject guides and the university's own website for the detail of what's in a course but don't forget universities are trying to suck you in they're trying to sell this to you so it may be quite a glossy version of what you might experience in reality so where can you get other perspectives from? Well, it turns out there are a lot of very motivated and active students out there. So we've got websites which cover student views such as What's Uni, Student Crowd, or you knew of one, didn't you, Tracy? I think the Student Room it was. Yep, the Student Room. Yep. Um, one thing to be aware of, though, is sometimes a student may arrive at uni and in the first you know, three months decide they hate it and write some awful reviews from their first year and a quite limited first year experience. So do take that into account. By the time they've settled into this big kind of lifestyle type change in the second year and the third year, their views may have changed. They may actually realise or, you know, uh, understand the course better and have settled in and be enjoying it more. So just bear that in mind as well. So that's an early exercise in evaluating information that you find online. <laughs> it is. It is. Reviews about universities. There are some other sources of information. When you go to, when you kind of approach universities, they often have student ambassadors or, you know, students who might be called various uh, iterations of basically the same thing, like student champions or whatever. And it'd be good to kind of talk to them about their experience. And again, do be mindful that you are talking to a particular ilk of very enthusiastic students. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. still, it's an opportunity to get uh, an idea, a flavor of what the university that you're considering would be like and to have an interaction with them. So if they're saying certain things about the university, you can say, oh, so why are you saying that? Or I'm kind of thinking about this. What do you think of that? Have you heard any information? There are also a number of Facebook groups. I can't remember the names now, but if you search university students um, or parents of prospective students at universities and search the course and the university, quite a lot of information would come up, I think. The other thing you could also do, of course, is to just ask a question on some of these groups mm, and, and let people chime in with all their experiences because you get really kind of authentic um, stories there of you know what people have experienced at university and that can help you make your choice you might even find some friends there mm. um, and there is a third 
group that have a very valuable perspective. Am I Who going are they? Am I going to say lecturers and professors? No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to say graduates. So it might be hard to hunt down some specific graduates from the course you're interested in. But don't worry, it turns out the government um, and the Higher Education Statistics Agency, HISA, um, actually spend a lot of time and efforts researching this because they um, are very focused on graduate outcomes. Are students who are paying 9,000 a year for a course Um, getting value for money? Are they getting good jobs? And, you know, that's quite a simplistic way of looking at it, because it's not just about the job. You know, is it that students are coming out with much greater skills, more confidence? There are lots of other measures. But in terms of getting an idea of whether a course is the right type of course for you, finding out where graduates go after their course can be very valuable. So you might find out everybody does psychology and ends up with a desk job, being a secretary, Mm. or or you might find out that they all go into being clinical psychologists. But it might be that you're actually quite surprised as to, you know, how many people go on to a job that is specifically tied to their career, the same kind of vocation. I can't remember the exact statistic on this, but the percentage of students who go on to a career that's directly related to their degree is actually quite low. I think so. I think so. Uh, it's it's really interesting. And um, it does happen quite frequently. We do go on about hobbies quite a lot in our podcast, but it does happen quite frequently that the activities that students get into while they're at university that's related to their hobby often influences the career path that they take later on. Run with it. Yeah, yeah. So there's some food for thought. So you talked about courses and you talked about universities. I wanted to say something else. Location, <laughs> location, location. For example, people could be kind of city, you could be more of a city person and you like a lot of buzz, you like access to things like theatres and nightlife and you just like busy, bustling places. Or you could be more of a small town kind of person and prefer like a lot of space, be by the beach. So if you Mm. go to Swansea University, the campus is right on the beach. Oh, where do I sign up? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a lovely campus if they offer the right course for you. So so that can have some bearing, like but not just the location. You might want to consider the proximity of a university to home, where you consider to be home, because you know, and what the train routes might be like if you don't drive, for example, and what that would cost. So, you know, it's very likely that when you start university, you might feel a little bit homesick, and so you might have more frequent visits to home when you first start off and that can be a very important emotional network for you so it's really important to think about that kind of access when you're at university but also for example where you choose to live when you're at university so what is the accommodation like how far is it from where you need to be for your studies is it safe is it a safe area that you would enjoy living in is it where, you know, most of the students on your course might live, for example? Yeah. And that's the argument for having a little look into this before, mm. um, because you've got time, you know, lean into that um, excitement of thinking about different universities, have a look at, um, yeah, what's exciting about the place that they're located in? Where would you want to live? Those types of things. So, Alex, how did you choose your university? Well, my mum told me that I couldn't live too close to home because I would just come back too often. (laughs) 
So I had to kind of look <laughs> for places about an hour away. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, you know, I never sat down and did this kind of prep. So I was all over the place with, you know, picking degrees and whatever. No idea what I wanted to do at any point. <laughs> um, so she had gone to Manchester as a student, uh, Manchester University, very good university. They were one of the only universities at that point that did psychology and neuroscience as a degree. Um, so that's who I went with. Um, I came from Singapore as an international student. And part of the reason I ended up in the UK was actually because I didn't think I'd done well enough to qualify for a course in Singapore. And I had <laughs> strategies there, people, strategies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. If you want to move very far away from home, just don't do well enough to get into the local <laughs> university and then you'll have to go overseas. Um, I don't really know what my intention was, to be honest. Things just kind of happened and everything's fallen into place since, so it's fine. But yeah, so we believed, my mom and I especially, uh, that I wouldn't get into the local university because we asked and they were like, oh, well, if you want a realistic answer, mm, your chances are not great. As it happens, I did get an offer, but that was after I'd had another offer from Loughborough University which I much preferred, actually, because the tutors seemed lovely. And, you know, I looked at their prospectus. Obviously, I didn't go to an open day or anything because it would cost too much. But you go to these kind of exhibitions, you talk to the tutors, you look at the prospectus, you go online and have a look at what the campus is like. And it seemed like a really nice, um, accessible kind of university. It was very down to earth, not too like hoity-toity or anything like that, which is more my vibe, I would say. And um, the reason I chose to study English was because it was my favorite subject at school. So it wasn't particularly deep or profound. And perhaps, you know, perhaps that's why we'd like to encourage students now to kind of think about things in a more deep and profound way. Having said that, though, whatever course you choose is not the be all and end all because the skills that you acquire at university are transferable to lots of different things. And Alex and I have done lots of different things since lots graduating. And lots and lots. Yeah. So I wanted to do psychology. Um, turns out doing psychology and neuroscience, which sounds both harder and is actually more work because it's a joint honours. Um, had a lower grade requirement so I went with that one <laughs> and I wanted to do psychology um not being focused on career but because I really wanted to try and understand how people worked better you know so other people and also myself um turns out I did not get psychology that much um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the neuroscience part loved it so I then leaned more into that kind of uh, coming away from university. Mm. As you were saying that, I was just thinking about, you know, so some students might be under perhaps family pressure to do a certain course or whatever, you know, like parents might nudge them a certain way. And what we might say to people in that kind of situation. <laughs> oh, I don't know. That's a really hard one because it's really hard to upset parents <laughs> is it one of the be. issues however part of becoming an adult um like a real adult not just a somebody who's over the age of 18 is 
understanding who you are as a person and what drives you and choosing to live the life that will make you happy. So not living for somebody else, but living for yourself. And that didn't actually occur to me until I was, how old? About 38. And it, it's been a, a revelation. So, but you didn't choose psychology and neuroscience because of any input from your parents, was it? Like it was just a choice no, of university. No, that was my own choice. Yeah. The encouragement was um, around the which institution? Manchester is a good institution. <laughs> and i do a great time there um but actually you know so i'm going to ask you this chance in a moment i'll give you my answer first so Mm -hmm. give you a moment to think about it um what would be the most important question you would ask in order to determine which university or which course you would go for and so i'll answer so you've got a moment to think okay um And it would be student to staff ratio. Mm. It would be, you know, how much contact do you get with the experts in a subject area? Um, How much face-to-face kind of teaching do you get? How big are the classes? Because nowadays, some places have, you know, 600 students in a year. um, And a tutor might have 60 students, super tutors, they're sometimes called. Um, And you don't get... I would say kind of value for money there, really. Um, You don't get contact. You don't get that social interaction that is an essential part of the learning process. It means people can be quite isolated. Obviously, you make friends and that side of things, but you can be quite isolated from um, people who can tell you how a subject area works, how the department works, all the rules and the hierarchies and the you know, the hidden ways of how this kind of culture which you're mm. taking part in actually work. Um, and we went to see somebody. Well, actually, no, we did a guest lecture, didn't we? Yes, um, we did. And it was it was lovely because there was the lecturer, lecturer and then there was a small class. Um, so apparently not everybody was actually showed up to the session. But, yeah. <laughs> but you could see that, you know, the lecturer knew who the students were and you know they were able to discuss things and that was inspiring interest and passion in students and also probably bouncing back to the lecturer as well because you know that social interaction is a really essential part of learning so that would be the question I'd ask. So yeah I think that's a question worth asking but the other thing is also to get to meet some of the lecturers and tutors because you get to know a lot of about a person from the way they relate to students you know and I think beyond open day as well because if they don't genuinely care about students I think that would show I think that would I think that would really come through in their personality so I'm not sure I would give as defined an answer as you Alex so I did say about how I came to choose the English department at Loughborough and for me it was about the kind of energy of a place so this is me going very kind of into my intuition (laughs) again and sometimes you just kind of get a vibe of somewhere you know when you especially when you go and visit it but it it can happen from like looking at their marketing material definitely talking to tutors perhaps talking to students if you get a chance and I think the more kind of stories you can gather about a place from people's experiences there the better I think that's probably 
the thing that would kind of help me solidify my decision. Yeah. And guess what? We have a range of questions as suggestions that you might want to investigate in our downloadable workbook. Which incidentally is fillable, isn't it? It is. It is. You don't even need to print it out. You can save the planet one piece of paper at a time. Yes. And just have it on your (laughs) phone handy. But do... I think it's it's a very powerful exercise to do that um, follow your passions activity. Make sure you write everything down. Don't just think, oh, yeah, so these are my passions and have them like in the back of your mind because you need to consolidate those ideas and kind of think about them a lot deeper. And you can't really do that if it's just floating around. In- so it also covers um, the clearing process in quite a lot of detail. Um, We won't go into this hugely here, but we've got a lovely little roadmap of a model. So I created this infographic myself, so very proud of it. Well done, Alex. (laughs) Little things make me very proud. Um, So the different steps you might go through. Firstly, if you decide to enter clearing, you would need to look at the UCAS uh, website and use their search tool to find courses that are available. You can do that, as we've said before the actual day um, and without committing to going into clearing at that point. This is just a bit of a background research. Spend as long or as little time you want on this, but it's probably worth having a little look around. Then on results day, if you're in clearing, you would call the universities that you are interested in and you'll probably speak to part of the kind of admin team um, for clearing. Um, Quite often you speak to somebody in admin who will kind of go through um, you know what your grades were what courses you're interested in and then if they think you're a suitable match they might pass you on to an academic to talk in a bit more detail about what the universe is to talk in a bit more detail about what the university is like what the course is like what the teaching is like etc so at this point you know you might ring a couple of different places and they may make you um one or more informal offers. So once you've got a definite kind of offer at this point, you go into the UCAS track system and you can add your clearing choice. So you can only do this once you've had a formal offer from a university, a verbal offer. And they'll probably give you um, an indication of a timeline. You know, um, you've got 12 or 48 hours to um, accept this offer. Because at this point, I guess clearing starts to get a bit kind of fast paced. It's not a case of you've got 10 minutes (laughs) to go to check out. (laughs) But um, there is a, a time frame that you need to think about. Next step is, of course, to celebrate. Well done. You have just achieved something incredible and are about to take a very exciting step into the future. Um, you then have to think about, well, where am I going to live? So arranging accommodation. By accommodation for first years, we mean usually it's halls of residence, isn't it? Rather it is, than it is. students having to be thrown out into the private market. Yeah. And that's a great way to meet people as well. Mm hmm. Um, you'll need to update student finance if there's been any changes in terms of which institution that you were expecting to study at. And then it's the exciting part of preparing for university. Mm. And I believe, Tracy, we will probably be putting together some more podcasts and material to help students do that. Um, so we're likely to do something around actually you know, getting ready to take your first steps into university and arriving there. 
but also, and this is our specialism, is really thinking about um, how do you adapt the skills that you had at A-level, you know, uh, learning, revision, writing, into the skills that you need at university. There's a lot of crossover, but there are a lot of differences as well. And we specialise in helping people um, see that. Mm -hmm. Some of you may have, you know, picked up on me saying that you have to make clearing calls to university. And I know for me, that would have been a terrifying, terrifying thing to do. Um, I'm not sure about you. You'll probably vary hugely. Some of you probably would talk the poor admin uh, person's ear off for an hour, whereas others might be absolutely terrified. Um, but we have your back on this one. <laughs> in addition to all the other incredible stuff in this downloadable free workbook, we have some advice around uh, the types of things you want to try and um, include in your conversation. So I've got lovely another infographic here. So <laughs> such as, you know, show you're enthusiastic about the university. Um, present yourself as a committed student. You know, you're motivated, you're passionate. Explain your situation. So if perhaps um, your grades were lower than expected and you had um, extenuating circumstances, you might want to mention that and just say, you know, that you've learned from it and emphasise again how motivated you are as a student. Be ready to ask questions. So you might want a little list of things that, you know, like the things we were talking about previously, you know, what will help you decide whether this is the course you want to do. And lastly, really emphasize that, you know, you're interested in this course, you're passionate about it, because motivated students do better. Universities don't want people to just be, well, not even showing up. Um, they want people who are going to come be committed students and enjoy it, perform well, get great grades. So it's in that situation, it's a win-win for the university and for the students. Um, they don't want to be taking money off people who really aren't interested, who are going to struggle because they just don't want to be there. Mm. Plus, it's a waste of your money. Oh, a huge waste. Yeah. <laughs> we have some tips about things not to say in a clearing call. <laughs> Um, a bit about after the clearing call. And I think lastly, oh, yes, yes, we've got some stuff about, you know, some examples of what a conversation might look like. So we've got a bit of a script here that you can have a look at. Obviously, you wouldn't read this kind of script. It's just to help you prepare, help you see how a conversation may happen. And then we have a clearing phone call role play activity. Now, many of you are probably recoiling in horror at the phrase role play. However, if you're going to prepare for something, the best way to do that is to do it, is to experience it. Um, so if you have a, a friend or a parent or a colleague or somebody, you can kind of run through this, you know, pick up your phone and get them to pick up their phone and have this actual conversation and see how it kind of plays out. Ooh, we've got bonus, which I'm not going to tell you about. You'll have to download this to see. Um, and lastly, we are also running a free masterclass. Um, it'll just be me, unfortunately, on this occasion. Um, Tracy's I'm taking on. a well-deserved holiday, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I'm just away for five days, but it happens to be one of the days when this workshop's running. Never mind, yeah. you'll get me again next time. Yeah. 
Um, but it's kind of, you know, uh, an opportunity to ask some questions about some of the activities and things in the workbook. Um, and also, if you've not been able to have a role play practice, we'll do that in the session. We're, we will have some uh, pretend kind of clearing phone calls. What better way can you prepare for the real thing? So if this episode of our podcast is the first time you're encountering us, then do subscribe because then you'll know every time a new episode lands. And if you're at the start of your academic journey, planning to go to university, then we release content fairly frequently through podcasts that will help support you through your uni life with an emphasis on university essays and preparing for exams. And we're really excited because like Alex was saying, our next two episodes are geared towards supporting students through the transition from studying for A-levels to excelling in your university assignments. But we're really excited because we're going to be welcoming a couple of A-level students on our podcast to share with us what their experience is like um, of A-level assignments and what their essays are like. And we can have a nice little comparison between what the expectations are of them uh, writing essays at A-levels and how that's going to be different from university essays. And in our next episode, we'll be talking about different styles of writing. So different genres of writing that you might see around you, whether it's kind of marketing copy, website copy, blogs, mass market publications, and how those styles are different from university essay writing so that you understand the kind of correct ways, the conventions of academic writing and why it's really important to master those. And we're very excited to have some new courses in development. So specifically aimed at first years, um, there are two. The first one builds on this kind of writing, you know, how do you move from A level to academic essay writing and we will give you all the tips and processes and tools that we have learned over our many 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 years at university and when I say that I've been at university since 1998 was my first year long time Lots I'm of the tips. same <laughs> yeah I guess so we're the same age so yeah <laughs> so why are we so good at this stuff Alex well there are many, 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 many reasons. So um, we both have undergraduate degrees. We both have masters. Mine's in research. What's yours in? Mine was on. <laughs> Mine was a master of arts in Shakespeare, Stratford upon Avon, and a cultural history of Renaissance in England. So you get two very different perspectives with Alex and myself. But also, <laughs> not only have we kind of completed university assessments up to PhD level. We have also spent quite a lot of time teaching these skills to students and collaborating with academics on how they teach these skills to students, which I'd say is quite a rare position to be in because very often no one actually teaches students how do you write an essay. You know, on your assessment rubric, you'll often be told, well, make sure it's a thousand words long, make sure it's, you know, clearly written, comprehensive, well-researched, and excellent. properly referenced and excellent but they don't actually tell you how to do that and very often that kind of carries on into academic life where academics have sort of flailed around trying to figure all, all this stuff out for themselves and then not thought about how to teach it to students hmm. 
So yeah. it becomes a little bit of a vicious cycle. And I would say overall that the support at universities for essay writing can be quite mixed for this reason. You know, some academics are really engaged in, you know, thinking about active learning and stuff like that, whereas others might be drowning in their workload. So it can be a very challenging situation. Yep, certainly. And for me, um, you know, you think kind of study skills, yeah, that's okay, maybe a bit boring, maybe I'll miss those lectures. Um, but for me, it is a real kind of vocation because it is a way of helping people who come from really diverse backgrounds really succeed at university. So, you know, there's a small number of people who get it straight away. You know, they're fine. And that's probably more luck than anything else. But there are a lot of people that it takes a long time to um, kind of really peel back the layers and understand how uh, the culture of a university works, what the expectations are. Mm -hmm. And for us to be able to um, explain this and run activities, experiential activities where you do things and we give you feedback um, and just seeing how it changes a student's approach and how they can suddenly move from you know, struggling with essays, all the joys being sucked out of them, to really excelling, you know, creating new ideas, um, interesting things, and really being motivated about that subject. It's it's wonderful to see, you know. I used to love having uh, sessions with, you know, a student doing a dissertation or an essay, and then kind of like really thinking about, well, what, what are you researching? What are mm. the implications of this? Wow, this is really interesting. It is. Yes, a lot of what students learn and research at university is really, really cool. And uh, that's one of my favorite things as well is when you talk to them and seeing students like yourselves just light up about their subjects because you've made it relatable to, you know, real life and made it applicable and they can see the practical applications of it. They get very, very fired up then. And it's great to see. So follow us. Um on our social media keep listening to the podcasts and we will keep you informed and up to date with the new and exciting things we've got uh, under development at the moment <laughs> and good luck Wait, you know, fingers crossed for results day it's going to be brilliant and on that note thank you very much for listening to our episode today and until next time goodbye thank you for listening to the weird learning podcast with your host, Dr. Tracy Dix and Dr. Alex Patel. Produced by Patricia Marie Solis and Kia Morant. Music by Defect Machine on Pixabay. <laughs>